Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Thank you for tuning with us today. Just before we go to the Bible study, I would like to introduce to you our uh, panel for today. And I've got uh, with me here Len. Hi, Hi Len. listeners. And Stephen. G'day, how you going? I've got Helen here. Hi, good to be here. And Lydia. Hello. This is a message of hope and good news for you. If you like to be part of this study, please don't hesitate and contact us to the numbers which we provide. Len is our facilitator today, and Len... The study that we have this week is entitled Honesty with God. And this is a very interesting study. And we have an introductory text. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, 15, and it says... But that on the good ground are they, which is an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. And this is referring to the parable of the sower that Jesus told. And the interesting thing is about the good grain, or the grain that produced the good crop, being likened to human beings, says, having heard the word, and keep it. And this, of course, is talking about honesty. Now, Helen, I'd like to ask you, what would you say is the natural tendency of people that you meet from day to day with regard to honesty? I believe that some people think that a little bit of dishonesty doesn't hurt anybody. Um, but in actual fact, if you do look at it, uh, well, I guess there are times when someone says, how does my hair look? Are we going to be honest with them if it looks terrible? That's very basic. But some people think, oh, I don't want to hurt their their feelings. On the other side of the coin, I had an incident just this week where I did something I have never done in my life. I can justify it because I had a lot of things on my mind. But I actually went into a store and I got a birthday present for someone and I walked out with it. I got to the car and realised I hadn't paid for it. I had a choice to make. The choice was, do I just get in the car and drive off? Nobody saw me. Or do I go back? My honesty needed to be with God, not just the company. So I went back and uh, the lady said to me, well, most people wouldn't come. And I guess that's a standard for today. But she was very pleased and she said, thank you for coming back. I said, well, I need to live with myself. And I think that's something that comes into being honest is that you can go home and you can sleep with a clear conscience, as we talked about last week consciences. Exactly the same happened to me, Helen, two weeks ago. I bought some stuff and I put it in a trolley and uh, something was left in the bag. I don't know why I put it in the bag. Uh, this was the first item. So I went to the car and I put everything back. So when I went to pick up the keys to open the car, I've seen the, the item in the bag and I said, oh my goodness. I And I went back and the lady from the counter looked at me and said, ah, oh, we, we wish to have more people like you. Please yeah. don't think we're all shoplifters on this program. <laughs> now, Stephen, when you introduced yourself, you said, how are you going? And this is a sort of a very normal Australian question or greeting. What sort of answer would you expect if people were honest? Well, a lot longer than you normally get, because normally you get like, good, okay, well, and you tend to go, yep, that's great and you walk on by but um, if you're going to get someone who's a little more honest sometimes it's a lot longer conversation isn't it 
Yes, well, it seems to me that um, we often say, yes, fine, thanks, or all right, whereas it's not all right, and it's not always fine. Mm. So I suppose even in that very small thing is a tinge of dishonesty. May I suggest, Len, there is a two-way street there. Even the person asking, how are you, are we being honest in asking that question? <laughs> because sometimes, I know I've had an occasion years ago where I was really, really down and out and somebody said to me, how are you going? And before I had time to answer and I needed to talk to a friend, this person had gone. Mm. And I went to them later and I said, if you're going to ask the question... Be honest enough with me to wait for my answer. Okay. So I think we need to evaluate it from both sides. All right. Well, that's a bit of a double take on that. <laughs> Sorry. But well, of course, the on opposite honesty is dishonesty. Um, Stephen, how do you relate to dishonesty? I mean, when other people are dishonest with you. Well, I guess it depends on the level of the dishonesty, I suppose. It's a hard question. Really. If it doesn't really matter too much, you tend to sort of blow it off. You know, you tend to let it just roll let it ride but if you feel like this is becoming a habit particularly with like family or children or something along those kind of lines and you tend to want to have a sit down and a discussion about about the value and the importance of of telling the truth okay ledger how do you feel when people are dishonest toward you we especially don't like people to be dishonest in the bible it says that those who are trusted with very little uh, can also be trusted with much and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. To me, I think being dishonest in little things, it means you can be dishonest in the bigger things. Okay. Now, the question I asked was how do you feel when dis people are dishonest with you was leading up to a greater question. How do you think God regards honesty and dishonesty well let's say how does god regard dishonesty any ideas if we feel hurt or uh, uncomfortable or whatever when people are dishonest with us imagine how god feels and uh, the frustration you know but interesting enough that god gave us all the information in his word in the bible to be able to keep on track, not to be dishonest, and to live a life full of uh, joy and happiness. As Helen mentioned a bit earlier, going to bed and have a good uh, sleep, not being worried about what you've done uh, during the day. God is actually for us, it's not for him. God is not just thinking, ah, oh, these people are dishonest with me and I feel bad. God wants us to feel good and he gave us all the information needed. And it's a simple thing to consider this way. If we are honest with God and in referring to the Bible and his word, then the, our life will be much easier, I would say. Okay, Lydia, what would you I, like to add? I would like to add that um, dishonesty is practiced all through our ranks. And this is the cause of lukewarmness on the part of many who profess to believe the truth. But they are not connected with Christ and are deceiving their own souls. God wants us to be honest in the littlest thing of our hearts. Being dishonest with people around us, it means we can be dishonest with God. Okay. Yes, Helen, yeah. um, can I just add, can I just add oh, something sorry. before? Mm. 
I see you have your Bible in front of you. Have you got it open up to the Gospel of Luke? Um, when you finish saying what you have to say, would you like to read Luke sixteen ten for us? Yes, I shall do. I'm happy to do that. I was just going to mention that you asked how do you think God feels about when we're dishonest to him. I guess we can relate a little in the fact that we get disappointed. I don't know about you, but I get very disappointed if I discover someone who's being dishonest to me and especially if they continue to be it, you start to get to the stage where can you actually trust them? Mm. And I've no doubt that God too is disappointed with us. But let's remember he still loves us. He knows all about us, mm. but yet he still loves us. But I'm sure that there are times of disappointment as well. But Luke 16.10, it, um, it says here, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. I heard a man one time talking about weeds. He was a gardener. And he said this, Little weeds are like little sins. They are easy to pull out. But big weeds are like big sins. And they are very hard to get rid of. And this applies, in my opinion, to this particular text which you just read from Luke 16.10. To be honest in little things you are more likely to be honest in big things and vice versa. Dishonest in little things, you're likely to be dishonest in big things. Now we were talking about how God regards dishonesty and I think it's uh, we've reached a kind of a consensus that God is disappointed. Does God have any antidote for dishonesty? Thinking that um, God knows how easy it is for us to be dishonest, particularly when it comes to the things we possess. We feel like that we don't need to be accountable to anyone. But actually, God wants to teach us how we can trust in Him with the things we have, because all things belong to Him. I think okay. so. Can I have a, have a wee go? Yes, yeah, sure. I've been sitting here pondering this. Do you think there's ever an occasion when... Um, people might be dishonest with an honest intent. Because, you know, often I hear people say, you know, God looks on the heart and is concerned about the motivation by which we do something. So I'm thinking back to what you were saying before, Helen, about, I think it was, I think it was you about hair. Was it you that talked about the hair? You know, how you, someone comes to you and says, do you think I look... Do you think I look good in this? Or do you think my hair looks good? And you're thinking to yourself, well, actually, I think it looks dreadful. But um, I can't possibly say that because that would cause offence and hurt. So you're sort of... What do you say? You, 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 you moderate the things that you would normally say. That's not, strictly speaking, being really honest. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's, your, your intent is to do good. Do you think that there's, there's some give there? Because the way we've talked so far, it's very black and white. You know, that's, that we're either truthful or we're not truthful. We're either, um, we're either on or we're off. But do you think there's ever a place in the middle for a little bit of grey? Or am I just being too, um, what's the word? Uh, soft. There's certainly room <laughs> for tact. Yeah. I mean, if you yeah. don't exercise tact, you can make enemies very quickly. 
I was reading a, a story regarding this lesson this week about a man and his wife that they had agreed to be completely honest with each other in their relationship and in their communication. And when she asked these questions, how does this look? He was perfectly honest with her, but tactfully doing it, mm. but he was perfectly honest. She ended up getting a disease and um, she had to go through an operation, I think, if I remember rightly. But when she came out, they had um, operated on her face. And she actually looked at him and she said straight away, how ugly do I look? Do I look ugly? And the man looked at her intently. He said, no. He said, you're beautiful. And she was able to believe him. Mm. He told the truth. She was beautiful. But she believed him because of the past. Mm. She knew he would always speak the truth. I think there's a good lesson there for us, I actually. I think you could be right, Helen. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, just before we uh, branched off in this discussion, I asked you the question, does God have any antidote to dishonesty and Stephen would you like to read for us please Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30 and Lydia would you like to prepare Malachi 3 verse 8 so Leviticus 27 30 well Leviticus 27 verse 30 says a tithe of everything from the land whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord it is holy to the Lord Okay, and without any comment, Malachi 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. Because you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Okay, thank you. Now, we're not commenting on this at the moment, but I, I want to point out something. Occasionally we look at some of these quiz shows and um, the one that I'm referring to was Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? <laughs> which preceded the currently millionaire. One of the questions on there one time referred to a word that was in both of these references that Stephen and Lydia read and it was the word tithe and the question was what is a tithe and there were four alternatives and I was amazed that the person did not know the answer. So, would somebody like to explain, please, what is a tithe? Well, I got taught when I was a kid that a tithe is 10% of your increase. So, if you make $100, this is easy maths for me, a tithe is like $10. A tithe is 10%, or, put it as a fraction, a tenth. And, um, you know, there are quite a few people around the world, Christian people in various churches, who pay, pay tithe. Now, what's the tithe used for? What was it used for traditionally, and what is it used for in this day and age amongst people who pay tithe? It was used to sustain the priests or the Levites um, back in Old Testament times so that they could do the work God had assigned them and not have to go out and like earn a living per se. Now what about these days? I mean, there are plenty of people around the place who pay, who pay tithe and we'll talk more about that later. But what's it used for? Stephen, would you know? Well, yeah, I do actually. It kind of pays my wages a little <laughs> bit. Um, but basically it's used to um, support those who are basically working in full-time paid ministry. Okay. And it's not only for that, because uh, as Helen mentioned, you know, to progress, to advance God's kingdom, you know, 
to do whatever it takes to reach out for those people who don't know God yet. And the Israelites, they were in the same position. They were the children of God uh, among so many other nations which they don't know anything about uh, God. And they set up a system to to say so. You know, they God uh, showed them how to live and what to do to be able to reach out to those people. Unfortunately, some, uh, you know, even the Israelites, and they got uh, just proud of themselves with what they got, and it was very hard to reach out. And Christians today could be in the same position. God is still uh, waiting to bless us uh, abundantly if we are trusting Him in what He asks us to do. It's actually a wonderful way to finance the ministry. Now, of course, in some churches, people donate money or they give money to support the ministry, and when they give their offerings, if it's not set aside for anything else in particular, it goes to pay the ministry. And as I remember certain ministers that I knew years ago, that um, they didn't, never had a decent wage. Mm. But this, the system of tithing is a, a fair and a good way to finance the ministry in a church. Now, you know, 10%, that's a fair bit, isn't it? How can, can you say people that, actually, Len, when we're uh, left with 90%? <laughs> I'm, I'm using this as a rhetorical question. Yes. That's a fair bit, isn't it? You know, people on a pension and so on, they might say, can I f afford to pay tithe? Lydia, what did you want to say? I would like to say that the scripture tells us that the tithe is holy. And yes. I would like to read the verse in the scripture, in the Bible, in Leviticus chapter 27 with verse 30. A tithe of everything from the land whether grain from the soil, soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. It means this tithe is holy. In other words, it's set apart. Certain things are separated or set apart from everyday common use for special or sacred purposes. But this one, would, we don't make it holy by giving. It is already holy, separated for God's purpose. So it means we are not giving God everything, for it rightfully belongs to Him already. We actually returning that which belongs to Him is a matter of integrity. Okay. Well, we've got sort of two questions on the floor at the moment. Number one, isn't 10% a fair bit? And Helen had the uh, comment, no, you've still got 90%. Yeah, I think, I, I think back to when I wasn't a pastor, I used to be a, um, involved in real estate. Uh, over in New Zealand and um, every month we would put in our invoice to the office and advise them how much we had done as far as sales or leasing went that month and on our invoice there would be an amount at the bottom which the office would then pay you and I always found that the easiest thing for me to do was to pay my tithe straight away so when I put my invoice in and they gave me the check or they put the money into my bank account I would immediately write out my 10% Actually, I write out a little bit more than that, actually. My, my, I did 13.6. That's just what I did. I would write out my, my amount straight away, and the next weekend at church, I would put it in. And that way, it wasn't quite so difficult to do. Often with these things, if you leave them and leave them and leave them, the amount builds and builds, and suddenly it seems a, an enormous amount of money. But if you do it straight away, it's so much easier. Yes. Helen? 
I'd just like to come back to you, you know, when you say about pensioners. I'm on a pension and I've had several people say to me, I can't afford to pay tithe. And I thought about that one day and I thought, I can't afford not to pay tithe. God set it apart. It's his and I need to give it to him or return it to him. And there's been times where I thought, oh, you know, the temptation comes. I've got an extra bill or whatever. But I have to tell you, as a testimony, God has never left me short. Mm. You know, if I am faithful in giving that tithe to God, for some reason the pension seems to go further. So my answer to that is I can't afford not to pay tithe. Good answer. Mm. I'd like to just mention a gentleman by the name of Robert Latorno. Now, many of you have probably heard or seen or know something about Latorno earth-moving equipment. Robert Latorno eventually became a manufacturer of earth-moving equipment. He was quite an inventor, and he felt very strongly that he should pay 10%. Even though at one stage he was $100,000 in debt and didn't know how he was going to get out of it. But he did pay faithfully the 10%. And the Lord blessed him. And so he paid another 10%. And the Lord blessed him even more. Now he's paying 20%. So he decided to add another 10%. And eventually it ended up he was paying 90% of his income and keeping 10% and he still had enough. So the Lord looks after people who are faithful. And that could have a, a double side, you know, uh, thing because we live in a time when uh, gospel is preached in uh, this regard, you know, the prosperity gospel, that if you give to God, God, God will give back to you. It's not always the case. There are uh, times when uh, you may struggle, but here it's the matter of faithfulness, not about blessings necessarily what we want because if we just want to pay tithe because we want something back or to be blessed then probably could be altogether the wrong uh, attitude but we are here to be faithful to god and god will take care of us because he knows what's best for us through the end not just for the moment or the the time when we make decisions and that's why we make decisions too often just by our own uh, feelings rather than trusting God. Yeah, um, I'm hearing what you're saying, Nick, too. I think we've got to be very careful. We're not here preaching a prosperity gospel, as you said. However, I, I believe we need to return the tithe because God asks. That's number one. He set it apart. It's his tithe. But there is a wonderful promise. If you read in Malachi, we read before Malachi 3.8. If you continue to verse 10, it says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. That's a wonderful promise of God. We don't pay or return the the, um, tithe because we want him to do that. But God, he will bless. I don't know if any of you have been in that situation where you virtually, he does open the windows of heaven and you think, what am I going to do with all this? Having been through the years in that situation a couple of times, it just literally blows my mind. Mm. But God is faithful. He will keep his promise. But at the same token, what are our motives for paying tithe? Is it for what we're going to get? God is not a supermarket manager, but he will keep his promises, though. Of course. Now, I would like to say that tithe, return to God, it's not 
merely a legalism. Tithing is a statement of faith, and it is an outward, visible, personal expression of the reality of our faith. Tithing is a humble expression of dependence on God and an act of trust that Christ is our Redeemer. It is a recognition that we have been blessed already with every spiritual blessing in Christ and a promise of more. It means God's plan in the tithing system is beautiful and its simplicity and equality. All may take hold of it in faith and courage, for it is divine in its origin. Just one little comment. The text from Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, did you notice it doesn't say bring all your tithes mm -hmm. into the storehouse? It says bring all the tithes. Now, this points us the fact that the tithes are not actually ours. Mm. They are God's, and we are just giving back, as Nick, I think it was, mentioned earlier. Nick, you want to get a word in edgeways? I think I will. Uh, I can see that the topic is getting quite, uh, you know, hot here, and it's just time to take a short break. Stay with us. We'll come back. We are going to play a song, and we'll be back in, in a minute. Don't go anywhere, please. Trust in God wherever I may be upon the land or on the rolling sea for come what may from day to day my heavenly father watches Trust in God, I know He cares for me On mountain bleak or on the stormy sea Though billows roar, He keeps my soul My heavenly Father watches
Indeed, our Heavenly Father is watching over each one of us. That was a beautiful song by Sandra Enterman. Welcome back to Bible study. Okay, well, those of you who have a Bible, you might like to read the, the story uh, you will find in Genesis chapter 22. This is about when God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son, the son of promise, the son that he waited so many years for, to go and offer him as a burnt offering. Now, for those of you who don't know, a burnt offering is where there will be perhaps a pile of stones, and on top of the pile of stones, um, whoever is making the sacrifice will place some wood, and then will place usually a, a sheep, a lamb, and cut its throat and it will be burnt as an offering to God, a sacrifice. Anyhow, God said to Abraham, now you go and um, make a sacrifice of your son and this is the son he'd waited so long for. You can imagine how Abraham felt. He probably thought, well, has God gone nutty? Mm. But even though he may have had those thoughts, he did what he was asked to do. As it was, God was simply testing him. But why did Abraham go and follow through on this strange command? Why did he do it? Because he trusted God. He had a, a connection with the Lord, with God, of a lifetime. He had experiences with God. And he knew and he trusted him. And whatever God asked, he just trusted him. He went in faith. I know that it was not easy for him because I put it myself many times in, in Abraham's skin. It's not easy to, to go and sacrifice your own son, the one which you waited for such a long time, for so many years. But he trusted God. He had a, a life of faith experiences with God. Okay. I guess he probably also realized that this was kind of out of character that God didn't ask for human sacrifice. That wasn't his style. And so I suspect he thought, well, God's asking me to do this. There must be some other plan. At least that's what I imagine in the back of his head. I know if I, if I was in Abraham's case, uh, situation and I had the faith to follow through, I would have in the back of my mind that God must have some other plan or purpose that he's going to work out. Don't know what it's going to be, but hoping for the best because God always does the best, you know. Mm. So... The ledgers actually pinpointed why Abraham did this. Because he trusted God, and it wasn't just a one-off. Yes. The, uh, Abraham had experiences in the past, and he chose to be faithful. Now, why are we talking about this in respect to honesty with God? Because if we are faithful... And we have been, I don't know if you can say it this way, practicing faithfulness. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. The tithing issue is no big deal. 
because we have been God has been faithful to us and we are simply being faithful to him yes Ledger I would like to add a phrase which I missed that Abraham's life of faithfulness and obedience beforehand was what enabled him to do as he did yes Stephen would you be so kind as to read Hebrews chapter 12 2 sure. and it's to do with how to get and maintain faith. Well, Hebrews 12.2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So this is, um, if you like, faith, the faith of Jesus, how Jesus was faithful to his mission. And it's also talking about our personal faithfulness to him. Now, how do we get and maintain faith? It's there, hiding right in that verse. I think it's that fix our eyes on Jesus phrase. What does that do? Well, I guess the thing that you focus on is the thing that's most important to you. I often say to people who are battling with an issue, that years ago I watched this movie, and it was a short movie, and it was about this lady who was called I Pack My Own Shoot and what she said on the thing was uh, on the movie was it was all motivational stuff essentially was that the most dominant thought in your mind is the thing that you go towards yeah doesn't matter whether you phrase it in the positive or whether you phrase it in the negative that's what you go for so when I was a kid I used to have a trouble with biting my fingernails and I used to say to myself don't do it don't do it don't do it and inevitably I did and the idea was that I fo instead of focusing on the not, focus on something else. And so if we fix our gaze on Jesus, then that's what we're going to go towards. Does that make sense? Yes, so I was going to ask you then, what aspect of Jesus would you fix your eyes on? Well, you couldn't, couldn't pretty well go too wrong with fixing your eyes on any aspect of Jesus, <laughs> to be honest. But I suppose um, in the context of the verse, it talks about, what did it say? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And it strikes me that if we can focus on Jesus in the context of the cross and the fact that he was willing to sacrifice who and all he was for us, that seems to me to be a pretty worthwhile thing. Okay. I would like to add to that. Jesus' faithfulness led him to go through and do what he did, eventually giving his life for us and so there's one very special aspect that we should consider consider his faithfulness hmm. through that uh, radical story of Abraham's you know uh, we are here to learn a very valid lesson both of them uh, Abraham and um, Isaac they trusted God because if you read the whole story Isaac uh, you know I mean he was prepare even if he doubted at them at times you know uh, father we have here the fire we have the wood but where is the sacrifice you yeah. know and he realized that he's the one to be sacrificed and in the end he accepted that both of them trusting that if God will go further with this thing which of course God was not uh, going to do that God has already an alternative for them both of them. God can resurrect Isaac, for example. And that's, the Bible is full of stories when uh, people 
are being blessed by fully trusting in God. I think there's a great statement that I read. It says, faith, the life of faith is a dynamic experience. It grows, it matures, and it increases. And it certainly does. The more that you exercise your faith, the more you have the faith in Christ, the more that you will step out in faith. So you're saying that faith is not a one-time experience? No, it grows, definitely grows. Okay. And if you look at the life of Abraham, you can see that that's happened. And even in our own lives, um, I know that seeing the faith of Jesus working in my life has given me um, a greater trust to know that I can trust him completely with anything and everything. Mm. Mm. Lydia, did you uh, wish to say uh, something there? And I wanted to say that uh, looking into Jesus' faithfulness is like engraving his faithfulness into your own heart. So this is what, is what it means to live a life of Jesus' faithfulness. So yep. it is growing, it's going either deeper or stronger or shallower or weaker. It depends the way you exercise this faith uh, in in connection with Jesus in your lifetime. Okay. It's actually the next verse says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So it even tells us in the next verse that we should be focusing on Jesus and as we focus on him, our enthusiasm for following him will increase and grow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Helen, would you mind reading for us Luke chapter 11, verse 42? I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Now, here's a left field question for you. These um, Pharisees back there in the time when Jesus walked the earth were very exacting in their tithing. In fact, they even went in their garden, and I don't know how they did it, counted out how many leaves or whatever, but uh, mint and anise and cumin or whatever other herbs there mm -hmm. were. Was that being faithful? They yes. were being faithful in, in the tithing part, but they, gone, they went too far in one way in the fact they were so busy doing that, but they had neglected what had been given to them, the admonition to love and, and show justice. Christ is not saying, no, don't do that tithing of that. He's saying, you should do that, but don't neglect the other. You know, they needed to bring the inner life under God's control and the outer life would then naturally have reflected um, what Christ wanted them to do. So yes, tithing is important. Um, he's not saying don't do it, don't tithe these things, but I think we can get become so pedantic that we neglect the other things that we should be doing, loving our neighbour, loving God, um, and showing justice and mercy, taking care of the widows, the orphans, which is admonished in the Word. Yes, I was going to ask you, is there a lesson there for us? Yes. But I think you've answered <laughs> the, the question. What did you want to say, Ledger? I want to read a note which I really like it and it's very complete. Tithing is a humble expression of dependence on God and an act of trust that Christ is our Redeemer. It is recognition that we have been blessed already with every spiritual blessing in Christ and a promise and more. Yeah, I like that too. And I, yes. I also like the thought that the Bible says that um, God isn't interested in us getting all the, all the extras in life. 
but he promises that our bread and our water will be sure. So he's not going to say we're going to have the latest Ferrari and the latest whatever it is. In fact, he probably wouldn't really want us necessarily to have those things. Um, what he's interested in us, in us doing is performing those more weighty matters of the law, justice and love, without neglecting to show our faithfulness in the area of our finances. He meets our needs, not necessarily our wants, yeah. but he also wants to use us to help meet the needs of others as well. That's right. Yes. We're going to jump a little bit here, and we're going to go to the experience recorded in the book of Nehemiah. Now, for those of you who are not sure or don't know, Nehemiah is uh, Nehemiah was a person heavily involved in the rebuilding of Jerusalem after it had been sacked by the Babylonians. And after living in Babylon for a period of time, I think it was 70 years, permission was given for the faithful Jews, if you like, to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild, first of all, the temple and then later the city. And if you read in Nehemiah, and I don't know if we're going to actually read it right now, but one of the things that happened under the leadership of Nehemiah was a revival, a revival of um, trust in God, revival of faithfulness, revival of um, religion, I guess you could call that, although I don't really like to use that word in this context. It was their spiritual life, wasn't it? Yes, a revival yeah. of spirituality. Now, tell me, you've probably um, experienced revivals in your own life. What sort of things happened to you when you experienced a revival? Is anybody able to comment on that? Well, your degree of connection with God seems to be at a greater level. All right. Can um, you get a bit close to the yeah, mic? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Steve. Just say again, your degree of connection with God, your sense of proximity and closeness, your sense of his, his presence in your heart and in your mind, leading and directing and guiding is much stronger. Um, normally your practices as a follower of, of Jesus become more entrenched in those times of, of reformation and revival. Okay. Anybody else like to say something about that? Yes. Revival signifies a renewal of spiritual life a quickening of the powers of mind and heart, or a resurrection from the spiritual death. I was uh, around when Billy Graham came out here to Australia and he conducted some magnificent revival meetings. And there were many people who came to the Lord as a result, people who had no uh, Christian life before that. And it was a wonderful experience. And I guess many people who went through those revival meetings felt kind of elated. They felt close to God and they had a whole lot of joy through their whole being, I suppose. But in Nehemiah, has anybody got Nehemiah in their Bibles? Mm -hmm. Would somebody like to perhaps read verse 12, what happened as a result of this revival in Jerusalem that was being rebuilt under the leadership of Nehemiah. Well, verse 12 says, All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and oil into the storerooms. Now, why would they do that? 
well, it was an act of faithfulness, wasn't yes. it? Really, because yeah. because they had seen God's blessing in their lives, they'd seen things improve, and now they wanted to respond to what God had done. And they were saying, they were basically saying, "Thank you." Yes, an act of faithfulness, yeah, yeah. to the Lord for so, whatever they received. So, really, when you think about it, there is a connection between revival and faithfulness, and in this case, the bringing in of the tithes, those things which belong to the Lord. Mm. And it, it's interesting enough that uh, when we're talking about revival, we must uh, realize that there was a time of really slackness, if you like, or something which you really left, uh, left it behind, you know, and you knew it, uh, that when God is with you and uh, brings you back, you know that the life can be different again. And that's the most important thing. We live in a time when uh, we are so individualistic oriented, just for ourselves, just me. But if we look back in, uh, you know, our parents and grandparents, how they used to live and being careful for each other, then if we look back then, we may realize that the blessings can come back in many aspects. Mm. Yes, legit. So we have seen that the Reformation signifies a, a reorganization, a change in ideas and theories, habits and practices. So the relationship between revival and Reformation and tithing is automatic. Without a return of the tithe, revival and Reformation are lukewarm, if it is a revival at all. Too often uh, we as Christians stand idle on the sidelines when we ought to be involved actively of the, on the Lord's sides. But revival and reformation demand a commitment, and tithing is part of that commitment. If we hold back from God what He asks of us, we cannot accept Him to respond to what we ask of Him. Okay, Helen. Yeah, the revival that happened in the time of Nehemiah affected them, their hearts, mm. their spiritual relationship with God. And in turn, uh, that was the inward. In turn, a reformation came about, which meant that they changed their habits yes. that they were doing before. So in other words, it wasn't just inward, it was outward. What changed in their heart then affected their 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 motives in their heart affected their actions. Yes, and there was a revival. There was a reformation. And that happened because of God's activity. Oh, uh, absolutely. Because because the situation was that they were rebuilding the walls of of Jerusalem, right? And they were not having a lot of success. And then Nehemiah came along. He got things organized. He made things happen under the leadership and direction of God. And at the end, in fact, the previous chapter in Nehemiah twelve, it says mm -hmm. that they're dedicating the walls of Jerusalem. And in light of that. They now had they were in a safe place, yeah. and they now responded to God as the as the safe place maker, and they gave him their tithes. All right, now we're nearly at the end, but I'm going to pose another question. But before I put this question to you, I'm going to ask you if you can think of the main points, or at least one of the main points, and we'll do a little summary at the end. But we'll go around rather than me make the summary. Okay, now it's well established by this panel and what the Bible says that the revival and the reformation brought about a change in the people's lives, their habits and they brought their tithes I want to put the question the other way say there's a person who 
has not paid tithe for a long time and decides I need to. Does a revival come about because of them paying that which they owe the Lord? What do you think? Yes, I can see you thinking very hard. Yes, a revival starts with me. You know, we need to think that way. We don't need to look for what happens around. But if we realize that we need to change some things in our life, that's already a revival. Mm. You know, we've been prompted to do different than we used to do. We may be deceived in some aspects in life by various things. But when we come to the realization, particularly looking into the word of God and the counseling which comes from God, then I believe it's a revival. Okay. I think I think it still go, comes back to the fact that the person will do this only when they realize that God has been active. You know, if I walked along to Nick and I said, Nick, I think you should pay tithe. You haven't been paying tithe, blah, blah, blah. It's time you started. Nick's not going to do it just because I tell him. He's going to do it because he perceives that God is active in his world and in his life. And when he realizes that God is active in his world and his life, he knows he can rely on God's faithfulness. And so that's what causes the desire to do this. Does that make sense or am I... Not making myself clear. I think it's it's always we always respond to God's action. It's like when we read in Hebrews chapter twelve. There, you know, we focus we focus our eyes on Jesus because of what He did, and then everything else falls into line, like it said in verse three. So, just the act of, in this case, paying tithe. Are you saying it does not bring about a revival? No, I think it is because of the revival that's uh, already hey. been brought about. I don't think me doing something is going to make things better for God. Okay. And that's what I wanted to hear. Oh, good. I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased I got the answer right. <laughs> that the revival comes first. Yes, yes. And the actions come afterwards. Well, now time is almost up. So, panel, we've had, we've sort of identified all sorts of things here in this study today. Would you like to pick out one point that you think is important and that the listeners should also have their attention drawn to? Yes, Lydia. I really like the text in Malachi uh, 3 verse 10 which touches my heart and I would like to read it for you which says so beautifully, the Lord says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that there will not be room enough to store it. And in Psalm 34 verse 8, the psalmist proclaims, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. So God delights in demonstrating his trustworthiness in each generation. He calls each generation and each person to reciprocate by returning an honest tithe to him for his honor and glory. Okay, thank you. Helen, what point would you like to emphasize? I guess it was actually two. I came back to the title of the lesson which says, Honesty with God. It means hold nothing back like Abraham didn't hold anything back. Um, but I think the other thing that hit me in this lesson was uh, when it talked about tithes, it said being set apart. It was holy, as the Sabbath day is holy. God is holy. The children of Israel were set apart to be a holy nation, and we are the spiritual children of Israel. And that really hit home to me this, this, uh, this week that 
not only does everything belong to God, but God has set things apart to be holy. And the, and this has come into this week's lesson very much. And I guess I finished with my thought thinking, can we trust God? Well, I can say absolutely. Mm. I have found him so trustworthy and faithful mm. right through my life, especially in the last few years. But I think the the other question is, can God trust us? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Stephen, did you have a point you'd like to make? Yeah, um, we've talked a lot about the money side of things, and we did re- refer to Luke 11 verse 42 before, but I'd just like to go back there again and just rem- remind myself anyway that money stuff is really important, but how I treat other people is even more important. And so that's why um, Jesus says to them, you know, woe to you Pharisees, you tithe your mint and your dill and your cumin and neglect justice and love for God. And I think how I treat other people is also really important and how I reflect on God is also extremely important. And I okay. think we need to give those things a priority even though the, the tithing is important just the same. as Exactly, it? and that's the point Jesus was making, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, just, just very quickly, coming back on what um, Stephen also said, I think it comes back again to our, the front page on our lesson pamphlet where it says it's the motives of the heart. Yeah. And I think that really sums it up. Yes, it's the motives yes. Of the heart. All right, Nick, did you want to say something too? We learn today from the experience of others before us and how they've uh, been blessed by God. And by sharing this today uh, with all our listeners, I believe that they will be encouraged to search for themselves and to find out uh, what God wants f- for them and uh, how God uh, have many blessings in stores which we cannot uh, or we didn't access it yet. Okay. I would like to say this. What we do, our actions, our words, come out of what's going on inside us. And if we are faithful, then these things that have been pointed out and we've been highlighting tithes and we didn't say anything about offerings and good works and the list can go on, but those things will come from within. When Christ is dwelling within us, those good things will come out of us. Well, thank you for joining us today, and God bless you all. And just before we finish, I just want to remind you that you are listening to Bible study, and next week we are going to deal with the impact of tithing. We'll look a little bit more deeper into this subject. Thank you all for being with us and please don't hesitate to contact us.